Amen. Yeah, you guys, uh, you guys can clap for that. We're so, uh, so happy just to see what the Lord did uh, at summer camp. Summer camp's a lot of fun, but it's so much more than just uh, hanging out at the beach or, or playing games. The Lord really meets us there, and we really got to see our students uh, just see a lot of life change and a lot of just uh, shifts in perspective and, and motivation, and it's been cool. Uh, we often kind of lament the, the camp high where kids, uh, they get so spiritually on fire at camp, and then by Monday morning, they're, uh, they're like <laughs> not walking with the Lord anymore, and we haven't seen that in our group. It's been cool to see the real life change that took place, and so uh, my name is Jack. And I'm the student pastor here, and uh, if you're new, welcome. And if you're one that helped uh, either pray for camp, uh, you donated or made a dessert, I just say thank you so much. Uh, you did so much uh, helping these students go to camp, and we really do appreciate that. And even if you just, if you tithe and, and, and you do that, you help fund our student ministry. So I just really am thankful for you, thankful for your sacrifices, and just what you mean to this church and how you serve the church. And uh, I'm so grateful for you tonight or today. Uh, we're going to be diving into our camp theme that we talked about, the, the idea or the topic of spiritual warfare. So I'm going to pray, and I would ask you to do two things while I pray. One, would you pray for me that the Lord would speak uh, through me? And two, would you pray for somebody next to you that's, that's sitting around you, whether you know them or not, that the Lord would speak to them through his word today? If you could, if you could do that, and we'd all be praying together. So uh, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for just this wonderful morning of worship, uh, the gathered body of believers that are... Uh, singing out, glorifying your son, glorifying your name, glorifying what you have done for us. And thank you so much for what you've done at summer camp and how you spoke to students. This next generation, this Gen Z needs revival, Lord, and I just pray that you would bring it. And I don't think revival comes through emotional highs or uh, crazy camp experiences, but just from us being devoted to you every single day, Lord, and, and living and walking in you. And Lord, we just pray for just the special anointing of your Holy Spirit over our young people. And I pray that in these next few moments, you would speak through your word to the body that is here. And we're just so excited to see what you're going to do, Lord. Please use me uh, to magnify your son, to glorify your name. And we pray all of this in your name. Amen. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for being here this morning. Uh, how many of you have ever been to a theme park? Anybody like roller coasters? Okay, I, I love roller coasters. When my wife and I were dating, we went to uh, Carowinds Theme Park, and it was around Halloween time, so uh, around that time, they turned the park at nighttime into something called Scarewinds, and it's basically just a bunch of haunted houses all around the park, and like uh, actors and people dressing up like zombies or, uh, you know, uh, Freddy Krueger, something like that, and they kind of come up and try to scare you as you're walking around the park. And so we went there, and it, it's a fun time, uh, and some people, if you were maybe a little uh, prone to get scared or didn't like jump scares or didn't like while you're waiting in line for your dipping dots, someone coming up behind you screaming in your face, you could go and you could buy this thing called a Nobu necklace uh, for the small price of like $25. And so you could buy this Nobu necklace and it was this little light up ghost that you could walk around in the park in. And so if, the, if all the, the haunting and scaring was too much for you, you could put that on and it was basically your way of opting out of all the scary things. And my wife told me to tell you to make sure that I did not mention that she bought the necklace uh, uh, while we were there. So I won't, I won't tell you that. Uh, but you could, basically, you could basically opt out of, of all the scary things, all the, the jump scares, the haunted house, and you could have an enjoyable time in the park. Well, I bring that up because as we looked at at summer camp and as you heard some of the students talk about, the Bible paints this picture of a spiritual warfare.
warfare that is going on every single day. Spiritual warfare is something that takes place in all of us. There is this battle that has been going on between God and Satan, between the church of Christ and the demonic forces in this world. This battle has been going on for a long time. And here's the thing. You can't just opt out of the battle. You can't just decide that I'm not going to be a part of this or I'm not going to take place in this. I'm not a Christian. I'm not religious. I don't do that stuff. So that's not, that's not a part of my life. You don't get to do that. Whether you're a Christian or not, you find yourself in this spiritual war that is raging. And here's the thing that I, I, I truly believe is that many Christians or many people who are not Christians don't even realize that this battle is going on every single day. Many of us wake up, we, we grab our coffee, we get ready to leave, and we head to school or we head to work or we go wherever we go and we treat it like it's just another typical Tuesday or Thursday when in fact the Bible tells us that there's an enemy who is seeking to destroy us. He's coming after us. And so I think we need to prepare for this battle, and this is what we talked about all week at camp. And so I'm going to try to summarize one week's worth of learning at camp in 35 minutes. We'll see. We'll see. And so this morning, we're going to answer two questions. And first is this, who is your enemy? And then second is, what do you do? (laughs) You know who your enemy is, so what are you going to do in light of that? And I believe that your heart, I hope that your heart will be encouraged to know that victory has already been, been won in Jesus Christ. At the cross and then at the end of all, uh, at, at Jesus' second coming, victory has all been, already been made available for you. So I hope your heart is ultimately encouraged by that. You don't walk away afraid, but strengthened in your walk with the Lord. So we'll dive into our first point, who is your enemy? The Bible tells us that our enemy in this life is Satan, or the devil, or the serpent, or the great red dragon, or Lucifer, all these different terms that the Bible uses to refer to the same person, Satan. God and Satan, as one writer said, are arch enemies. They have been fighting for a long time. They've been battling for a long time. Satan not only loves to attack God, but he also attacks God's creation and God's church. And so you and I, whether you're a Christian or not, are under a demonic attack. And now, let me be clear, if this is your first time, we, uh, we are not one of those churches that thinks there's devils and demons and everything, but we do believe what the Bible says, that the devil is real and that he is working and he is moving. So I want to, in our first point, briefly uh, summarize or look at or survey, I should say, some of the passages in the Bible that talk about who Satan is and what he does. And the first is this. We see that Satan is... A fallen angel. Uh, the passages, there's many passages in the Old Testament that allude to the fall of Satan. Uh, every, we know every villain has an origin story, right? Joker didn't just wake up and decide one day he was going to terrorize Gotham City. There was a lot of stuff that happened that led up to that. And we see that the Bible tells us that Satan was an angel. Lucifer was an angel who had a pretty high standing in heaven. But at some point, he became prideful and envious. He wanted the glory and the honor and the power that that God had. So he tried to to fight and take the throne from the Lord. And now it's it's funny. Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Satan lost. He he didn't win. He was defeated. And and about one-third or so of the angels in heaven joined Satan in that rebellion. And they fell from heaven. They made this, this transition from, from angels to these demonic forces, to uh, servants of the enemy. And so Jesus says that he saw him fall. We also see in the New Testament from the words of Jesus that Satan is a liar. John 8, this is such an important passage in understanding who the enemy is. Jesus says this, 
He's talking to this group of unbelievers who are accusing Jesus of being demonic, and he says this to them. He says, you are of the father of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus gives us this amazing picture of who the enemy is. He is a liar. He's a, a master manipulator who excels in twisting the truth and deceiving hearts. You could say sometimes you look out into culture and you're like, man, how could somebody believe that truth? Or how could somebody live that life? Maybe you know somebody in your life right now and you're like, I just don't know why they do what they do. I can't wrap my mind around it. Well, the Bible would tell us that there is an enemy who deceives, who lies, and he's really good at it. Genesis 3, if you look all the way back at Genesis 3, how does Satan deceive Adam and Eve into disobeying God? He twists the truth. He manipulates the word of God, and that's what he still does today. And he thrives at it. He's good at it, and many people follow him. Chuck Lawless says that one of the main lies that the enemy will tell you is that your life would be better without God, that you could make a better life for yourself without following Jesus Christ in your life. That's one of the main lies that the enemy is telling all of us, Christian or not. Your life is better without God. Next, we see that he's the one who uh, steals, kills, and destroys. John 10, 10 says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus gives this comparative and, and contrast statement to his work and the enemy's work. Jesus came so that we can live and we can have life and life abundantly and eternal life. But Jesus has come, or, or sorry, excuse me, Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Many of us have this picture of like Satan as this little cartoon character on our shoulder with a little pitchfork, just like kind of whispering into our ears. When we talked about that at camp, that's just not an accurate picture of who Satan is. He is one who has come here to steal, kill, and destroy everything that he can. He's a bloodthirsty, evil, uh, just tyrant. And I hope that you're, you're getting a picture because often in churches, we, don't, uh, we either don't talk about the enemy or we talk about him way too much or give him way too much power. But I hope that you're beginning to see something, is that you are under an attack, that there is an enemy who looks at you. He looks at your family, your church, your friends, everything in your life. He looks at it and wants to destroy it. He sees your children and wants to destroy them. He sees your marriage and wants to destroy it. He sees your witness in this life and he wants to destroy it. He's an enemy. He's evil. Then we see in 1 Thessalonians that he is a hindrance to ministry. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, he says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. He's writing to this body. He wants to see this body. He wants to be with these Christians, to encourage them, to teach them, to worship with them. But he says this, I, Paul, again and again tried to do this, but Satan hindered us. Satan hates ministry. He hates the gospel. He hates seeing the gospel spread. He hates it when you come to church on a Sunday morning to worship. He hates when you gather with other Christians and pray. He, he hates when a, a student comes to youth group on a Wednesday night or goes to summer camp or a kid goes into Kid City. He hates all of that. And he does what he can to hinder ministry. He will seek to stop you guys 
from sharing the gospel or going on a mission trip or, 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 or going into ministry like one of our students talked about. Satan will do everything he can to hinder the work of the gospel, the spreading of the gospel. That is what he does. That is what he loves. He hates Jesus and he hates the gospel. We see in 1 Peter 5, 8 that he is our adversary. Peter says this. He says, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Again, the, the, the little concept of the, the little Satan on your shoulder whispering into your ear is so far removed from the Bible. Peter tells us to be watchful because Satan is like a lion seeking to devour, seeking to rip you apart. Why? Because he hates you. I, I watched this movie. Um, it's called The Beast. And so basically, this, this guy and his two daughters, they, they go to Africa, and they're in, the, they're in the jungle, they're in the desert, and there's this just crazy lion that is stalking them, trying to kill them, trying to get them. And the movie is quite unrealistic in a lot of ways, but it's helpful in giving you kind of a picture of just how much damage a lion can do, how a lion works, how it could just de devour any one of us. Like, me against the lion, no chance, obviously, right? And, and, and that's all of us. But there is this spiritual enemy who is like a lion that is seeking to devour you. It shows us this point that the enemy is after you. He is seeking for you to mess up, to, to be separated from the group, or to, to give him a foothold so that he can destroy you. He's evil, and he's after you. And last thing we'll consider from Scripture about the enemy is this, that he's not alone. Ephesians 6, 12 tells us, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. Satan is not alone. He has this demonic army that he, he wields, and he yields with all this power, and he's coming after you and I. The Apostle Paul makes it clear that you're not fighting against other people in this life. You maybe have a bully at school, you have a crazy family member that you can't stand, you have someone at work that's just like, you just, you can't stand them. That's not your enemy. The enemy is the enemy, Satan, and his evil demonic forces that are coming after you. That is who we wrestle with, Satan and his forces. Uh, Colossians 1.13 would say that there's a dominion of darkness over this world. That we're not wrestling with the people that we see, but with these spiritual forces that we cannot see, but we know are there. The enemy is crafty. He is deceiving. But I hope, just in that short survey of some of the passages that talk about Satan, I hope that you are getting an accurate picture of who your enemy is. Hopefully, you're understanding what this battle looks like. Hopefully, you understand what you're up against. Hopefully, you understand who's coming after you. I think you could summarize Satan's main goals as this. First, he wants to make the church useless. Satan would love nothing more than to make the church useless. He's trying to do everything he can to stop as many people from getting into heaven as he can. That's his ultimate goal, to take as many people to hell with him as he can. He does not want to see you enter into heaven. And so he's trying to stop the work of the church because the church is the primary vessel and vehicle that God uses to advance the gospel. So he'll fill it with false teaching, with division, with gospel hind or hindrances to gospel ministry or to idolatry. He'll do all these different things to make the church useless and irrelevant in the culture. So that when the culture sees the church, they'll see something wrong or something evil, something that they're going to avoid instead of a beacon for the gospel. 
He'll use corrupt leaders to turn people away from the church instead of pointing people to Jesus. He wants to make us useless. That people might drive by our building and say, I would never step foot in there. That's what he wants to do. But he also wants to keep the lost blind. Number two, he wants to do everything he can to keep those who are spiritually blinded that way so that they'll die never having believed in Jesus. That's what he thrives at. That's what he loves. And we're going to see in a minute, we know he's a defeated enemy, but he has this short time where he's trying to take as many people to hell with him. That's who he is. That's what the Bible says that he does. And I want you to realize this before we move on, that your personal walk, your family, your church, and your testimony to the rest of the world are under attack. The enemy is trying to ruin you. He's trying to corrupt you. The enemy sees your family, and he doesn't wait until your kids are 18 years old before he starts attacking them. He starts very, very young. He doesn't look at your marriage and say, oh, they're so pretty, they're so beautiful, they have such a great story, I'm just going to leave. No. He's seeking to destroy your marriage. That's why divorce rates are, are so high. He wants to rip you apart. That's why churches crumble and fall. That's why leaders fall out of ministry, because they sin. Because the enemy is attacking. The enemy wants to ruin your personal testimony to those in your life that are lost. Whether it be a coworker or a neighbor, he wants to ruin that so that they would never hear the gospel from you. So that they would never want to listen to what you have to say. And that's what he's trying to do. That's his work. That's his goal. So think about your life and the different areas of your life. Whether you're single or married, a, a parent or a grandparent, examine your life. What areas might the enemy be trying to attack you in? Whether you're Christian or not, grant with me for the next few minutes that the enemy is real and that he's attacking you. How might he be lying to you and deceiving you? So the question is, what do we do? <laughs> what should we do if this is our enemy? Where do we go? What do we look at? How do we fight? Glad you asked. We're going to look at two passages. One in Ephesians and one in the end of the Revelation uh, chapter 20. But let's spend our time in Ephesians 6 first. Ephesians 6, this is the Apostle Paul writing. He says this. He's writing to Christians. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the enemy. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Having done all to stand, he says in verse 14, therefore, stand, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, he says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18, which we won't spend any time in just because we don't have time, says this, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. I just want to say prayer is so important. <laughs> we don't have time today to talk about it, but prayer is so crucial to standing against the enemy. We must pray. But I want to show you three quick things from this. The first is that we stand in the Lord's strength, not our own. In these verses, Paul makes it very clear that we are to stand. 
Okay, our camp speaker gave us this, this awesome picture. If you've ever played football, uh, if you were a lineman, like an offensive lineman, uh, you know that every single play, there's a huge defensive lineman that's coming to push you out of the way to get to the quarterback. And every single play that the lineman, they have to take a stand to fight against this, this person that's coming towards the quarterback. In the same way, spiritually, Paul is telling you that you have to take a stand that you have to stand up so that you're not pushed over, so that you don't fold, so that you're just not pushed aside. You have to stand against the attacks of the enemy because they're real, they're powerful, and you're called to stand. But he also says that we stand in the Lord's strength. You're not mustering up your own power, your own will. You're not standing in your own might, but you're standing in the strength of the Lord all of our strength for this battle, for this war, comes from God. And all the resources that we read about in this passage come from him. One writer says that all the pieces of the armor belong to him and come from him. You notice how he says, be strong in the Lord. Stand in his might. Put on the armor of God. You and I can't fight this battle on our own strength. We will lose 10 out of 10 times. We need the Lord's strength. We need to rely on him. I truly believe, and I alluded to this earlier, that so many churches crumble, so many marriages are torn apart, so many families fall apart, so many uh, 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 people fall into sin, because we find ourselves in this spiritual battle, yet we are relying on our own physical strength. That there's this enemy who is attacking us, who's, who's shooting these darts at us. There's the schemes of the enemy, yet we're trying to do it on our own strength. We think we have what it takes to, to, to resist the devil. We're not looking to the Lord for the, the supernatural, spiritual strength that we need. But he t gives us, he tells us all that we need to do. He tells us to, to stand and to do so standing in the strength of the Lord by putting on the armor of God. And so I want to quickly go over the different pieces of armor. Not enough time to, to dive deeply, but hopefully you'll understand them. The first is the belt of truth. The belt of truth is the, the, the piece of the armor that holds all the other armor together. In that time, the, the belt would have held the sword and some, some other different pieces of, of, of weapons or different armor, and it, it held it all up. And so the, the belt of truth, spiritually for us, it's truth that holds all things together for us, right? It's truth that helps us understand all the other pieces of armor. Every single piece depends on you having the truth of God living inside of you. As people of God, we are people of truth. The enemy is the master of lies, but we are people of truth. And so what does it look like to put on the belt of truth? Well, first, you must receive the gospel truth. If you're an unbeliever in this room, the Bible would say this, that you were still under what it would call the dominion of darkness, that your eyes are still spiritually blinded. You don't see the truth of God. You don't recognize God as your Lord and Savior. The enemy has, has blinded you spiritually. Your, your heart is, is cold to the things of God. And so for you, if you want to put on this armor, if you want to stand in this fight, you first have to get on your knees and repent and ask Jesus to save you, ask him to forgive you. But then once you do that, or if you've done that, second, you uh, live the gospel truth, and then you share the gospel truth. So you put on truth in all aspects of your life. You make sure, one, you've been saved, but then you live that truth out, and you share that truth. Live truth. Think on truth. Be truth. And then there's the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate would have covered all the, the vital organs for the soldier, mainly the heart. 
It would have protected everything that you, you really need in this life. What does it look like for us spiritually? Well, we know that Jesus Christ, if you are in Christ, has made you righteous. That you were a sinner, but because of the work on the cross, Jesus has redeemed you. That when God looks at you, he no longer sees a sinner, but he sees a holy saint. He sees a child of God. He sees when, if you're a Christian, when Jesus looks at you or when the Father looks at you, what he sees is not the long list of all your sins, but he sees the righteousness of Jesus. Why? Because on the cross and when you repented of your sins, Jesus Christ imputed his righteousness to you. He gave you his righteousness. That doesn't mean you're on the same level as him, but that means positionally you have the righteousness of Jesus. That is why you're allowed into heaven. That's why you're in the family of God. Because when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. Amen? That's our position. So what do we do? We live that out daily. We put on righteousness. We choose to be righteous. We forsake sin, we forsake evil, and we put on righteousness in every area of our life, protecting our heart, protecting ourselves spiritually, because as we are righteous like Christ, we live out of that. That's what's wrong with so many churches today, so many people in the church, so many church leaders, if we're honest, are not living out of that righteousness. We have that positionally, but do we have that in our life daily and the choices that we make? And then there's the the shoes of, of readiness with the, with the gospel of peace. This spe simply speaks to, to sharing the gospel, sharing the gospel with the people around you. Our world, uh, our, our camp speaker pointed this out so well, our world loves chaos. Uh, I probably spent a little too much time on Twitter, but I, I saw this past weekend, there's this YouTuber, streamer, don't really know who the guy is, but he, he did this, maybe some of the, the young people know, uh, but he did this meetup in New York where he was promising to, to give away different prizes, different gifts, and, and it was all in New York, and, and ended up being like thousands of, of people there, and what quickly was going to be just this, this giveaway and this fun time quickly turned into a riot in New York. And I'm seeing all over Twitter just, just people breaking cars, smashing windows, stealing things, fighting for no reason. I thought, man, how does it turn from a fun giveaway to a riot in the matter of a couple hours? We love chaos. I'm sitting there on Twitter watching this. Like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And I had to check my heart. I'm like, why, why am I kind of enjoying watching this? Because we love chaos. We love the car wreck on the side of the street. We love the UFC match, right? Because we love chaos. But the gospel of Jesus Christ brings peace. Peace with the Father and peace with other people. It is a gospel of peace. Through his death on the cross, Jesus has made you and I at peace with the Father. We no longer experience his wrath or his judgment, but his love and his grace. And so what does it look like to put this on? Well, we must be ready and quick to share the gospel. Every time the Lord gives us an opportunity, as the Satan tries to, to hinder that and stop that, we, with the gospel of peace, share that in a dark world and people respond. Every time we share the gospel, we advance the kingdom of God and make the dominion of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, smaller. Right? The Bible says that when one responds to the gospel, heaven rejoices. And I believe that hell has a pity party because they hate that. They hate seeing people walk from death to life. And you and I 
get to share the gospel of peace, but also to live from the gospel of peace, to know every single day that we have been made right with God. I need to keep going. <laughs> uh, shield of faith, this is a good one. It says that the enemy shoots the flaming darts, right? He shoots the lies, the temptations to your life, but our faith in Christ and who he is and what he has done gives us the faith to withstand the attacks of the enemy. Hebrews 12:2 says that Jesus is the founder and protector of our faith. When the enemy attacks you, when he lies, when he says temptations to you, all you have to do is stand in the faith that you have through Jesus and what he's done and who he is. We stand and we guard ourselves, not by our own power, not by what we've done, but by who Jesus is and what he's done. Our faith in him is what guards us. Our faith in his person, in his work, in all that he's accomplished, that's what keeps us secure. That's how we block the temptations, by standing in our faith. So what does it look like to, to pick that shield up daily? Well, daily build your faith in Jesus. The bigger Jesus is to you, the more mighty he is to you, the less, I believe, the less power that the attacks of the enemy will have over you because you have this amazing picture of who Jesus is and all your faith, trust, and hope is rooted in who he is and what he's done. And so make decisions and choices that build your faith in him. Daily trust him, trust his promises, trust his word, because he's worthy of it. And then there's the helmet of salvation. Quickly, speaks of the assurance of salvation or our hope of salvation, that Jesus has done everything on the cross and has secured our salvation. So if you are in Christ, you can never lose your salvation. It is secured in heaven. Satan might remind you of your sin, but you can remind him of your savior and what he did on the cross. What does it look like to put this on? One writer says this, we are to live out our salvation as children of God, allowing the gospel to affect our thinking and actions. Daily, put on the helmet of salvation. And then lastly, there's the sword of the spirit. This is the only offensive weapon that we have. It's God's word. God's word is the only offensive weapon that God has given us to fight back. Everything else is just so we can stand strong, but this one is so we can fight back. God's word is the primary way that we fight against the attacks of the enemy. What did Jesus do when he was tempted by the devil in the desert? He recited scripture back to him. As the enemy tries to tempt him with all these different things, he responds with scripture over and over and over. What does it look like to put this on? Read the word, know the word, live the word, memorize the word, share the word, be a man, be a woman of the word. That's how we fight back. You want to stick it to the devil? Share the gospel. You want to fight back? Read your Bible and get to know your Savior better. That's how we fight back. And so if you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, all of this armor is available to you. All of this is freely given to you by the Savior. But here's the thing. It's a daily choice to put it on. You have to decide daily that you're going to wear it. You have to decide daily to pursue righteousness or to share the gospel or to build your faith in Jesus, to trust in Jesus that day. Daily, daily you take up the armor. It's a choice. So I'd say this, brothers and sisters, we must be ready to withstand the attacks of the enemy by standing in the strength of the Lord with the armor of God protecting you. Because we all know the attacks are out there. They're present. We can look all in our personal lives and the lives of our culture today. The enemy is working, but we can stand in the strength of 
the Lord. And I want to end with this, this picture. I want to remind you from the book of Revelation how this all ends. The, the book of Revelation is often misused and I think sometimes abused. Uh, we, we pick up the book of Revelation and we try to like predict who the Antichrist is or we try to say, oh, well, what does this mean? What does this mean? And we miss the beautiful picture. The beautiful picture of the book of Revelation is that we see that Jesus wins. Amen? And so let me read this in, in Revelation 20. It says this. It speaks of these, the, the, the enemy's army. It says, they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camps of the saints in the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And get this. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. At the cross, Jesus defeated Satan. But for a short period of time, Satan has the ability to cause as much havoc and damage as he can for a short time. Because we know from what the Bible says through the Holy Spirit in the book of Revelation that Satan's time is coming to an end. His story is written and we all know it. One day he will ultimately be defeated at the second coming of Jesus. Revelation 20 paints this picture of Satan being thrown into the fire and staying there for all of eternity. Let me encourage you with this, brothers and sisters. We fight from victory in this life because Jesus has already won it at the cross and we look forward to the second coming where he will conquer every evil force. We fight from victory because he's done it all. He's done it all. And so he's going to come back as a conquering king. Revelation 19 says that his robe will be dipped in blood and on his thigh it will read the king of kings and the lord of lords and nobody will be able to stand against him. That's the battle that we're in, but we fight from a place of victory because our God is so great and the enemy is so weak compared to him. On our own, he takes us down, but in Christ, in the strength of Christ, we stand victorious because of our savior, because of our conquering king. Amen? I don't know, uh, I, I mentioned about, you know, those who watch UFC like chaos, uh, but I don't know if you watch UFC or, or boxing or anything like this, um, but sometimes in the fights, there's however many rounds, three rounds, 10 rounds, whatever it is, and sometimes the fight is over and both fighters make it all 10 rounds or, or whatever it is, and they have to go to a decision, right? They have to, to judge who won the most points, who landed the most shots, who won the fight. And sometimes there's a, there's a controversy because people don't agree. Well, I think this guy won or I think that guy won, but there's some fights where there's no debate. There's some fights where it ends in a knockout <laughs> or, or uh, uh, they, they tap them out and, and the fight ends and one fighter's standing up and the other one's ice cold, like knocked out. And there's no debate about who the winner is. And I, I appoint you to that because there truly is no debate in this spiritual war who the winner is. There's no debate. There's really, that illustration falls short because there's really no competition. Because Jesus has so much power. God the Father has so much power that the enemy stands no chance. <laughs> he tried to, to stop him at the cross. It didn't work. Jesus rose again. You read in Revelation 19, and these demonic forces gather their armies, and Jesus speaks, and they lose. Jesus has so much power. God is not in heaven anxiously wondering if he's going to win or not. He knows. That's why he wrote it in the book. We see the end. We see how it ends. 
we see all of this. The perfect word of God tells us how all of this ends. It tells you how your life ends too. In victory, victory with Christ or in hell with Satan, we all know how this ends. Two destinations, but it says this. It tells us that Jesus is a conquering king who will crush the enemy. Genesis 3, 15, there's a reference to the one who will crush the serpent's head. That is Jesus. He crushed the serpent's head. He stands no chance. All of us who are in Christ will rejoice in that victory for all of eternity. And I just want to remind you of a few things before we end. I'm out of breath. Uh, <laughs> says, one, you can't do this life alone. You really, you can't do this life alone. Every time I go to the, the Wake Christian graduation, I, I uh, forget the man's name, but he always reads the quote that no man is an island. And that we do this life in needing other people in our life. God has given Christians the church for a reason. To build us up, to encourage us, but to strengthen us, to protect us. And so I would encourage you as a Christian, man, come to as many worship gatherings as you can. Pray with the body as many times as you can. If you're a teen, man, come to youth group as much as you can. Go to Kid City as much as you can. Find a life group and get plugged into it. Find someone to disciple you and to pray with you. When there's a, a men's prayer breakfast, do what you can to be there to pray. I mean, if you're, you're a strong Christian, start a life group and help lead other people who need help. The battle's tough. Although we fight from a place of victory, not everybody's fighting like they are. We do life in community. No man is an island. No man can fight this war alone. No man can fight from their own strength. Lean into the body. Lean into your brothers and sisters. That's what they're here for. Number two, as I've already said, and I won't say much, fight from the victory that God has made possible. Don't fight from your own strength. You and I are weak. <laughs> We're really, really weak. But God is not. He's mighty to save. He's a conqueror. Fight from the victory that he has made possible. And I would just speak to those who, un who are under the dominion of darkness. Hopefully you've granted me the last few moments and you've heard what I've said. I truly believe in the most non-judgmental way I can say it, that there are two paths that you can walk in this life. A path that glorifies the Lord and that leads to salvation because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. All to Jesus, he gets the glory. But there's another path where you live for yourself, where you do what you want, where you live your own life. But ultimately at the end, it leads to suffering. Because that path, the way that you walk it, it's a, it's a rejection of Jesus. Our, our camp speaker did this he gave us this illustration that has stuck in my mind since he said it. It really gripped my heart that night. He said that there's so many people that Satan has them in like a chokehold, just choking the life out of them. And there's so many people in our life that are in a chokehold. The enemy has them and they're sitting there saying, I'm free. I'm living life how I want to live it. This is my life, my truth, my story. I love myself. Celebrating not even realizing that Satan has them. And here's the beautiful thing about all this, is that Christ saw that. Jesus saw that. 
instead of just completely judging you and turning his face away from you, he stepped down from heaven to die on a cross for you, to rescue from the dominion of darkness. He loved you too much to leave you there, to leave you in your sin, to leave you in the darkness, to leave you in that chokehold. He rescued you. He's provided salvation for you. The Bible says that anybody who confesses with their mouth and believes with their heart that Jesus is Lord can be saved. You don't have to give money. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to pretend to be something you're not. You just cry out to the Lord and say, God, please forgive me. I believe in what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. There's no magic prayer that you pray. It's just this beautiful free gift of salvation that you might be saved out of darkness into spiritual life, life abundantly, life eternal. So I would just invite you, if you're not a Christian, if, if the Holy Spirit has revealed to you today that you do not believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can repent today and be saved. You can experience salvation because Jesus Christ bought it on the cross. I want to end reading this, this one scripture to, to all of us. It's from 1 John, the same writer of Revelation. He says this. He says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen? Amen. Let's memorize that and live from that. That the Holy Spirit inside of you, the Spirit of Christ inside of you, it's greater than the one who is in the world. So though he, he, has, he has power, let's, let's, not, let's not play around and pretend like he doesn't. He has power. But the one that is inside of you, the Holy Spirit of the living God, is far greater. So you can live from victory, knowing that he has bought your salvation with his blood. Amen? And so before we pray, in a minute... Uh, the, the, the band is going to lead us in a, a time of response. And the cool thing about this song is we kind of picked it intentionally because there's, a, there's a, a line in the song that talks about how the, the mountains shake before you and the demons run and flee. So, so in this moment, we get to sing about how great and powerful God is and how all the demonic forces in this world run and flee just at the mention of his name. So let's sing in our victory, knowing that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Let's pray.